We've all been there. We've all done that. Everyone is guilty of it. You, me, Tom Brady. When our coworkers, friends, or even family ask us how we're doing, most of the time the response is the same. Good, fine, not bad, can't complain. Even if that isn't true. I think a part of that is because we wear the uniform and we're supposed to be robotic, aren't we? We're not supposed to show emotion or complain or even vent a little. That's a sign of weakness. Except it isn't. This is the 40th episode of the Maniac Radio Show. I'm Master Sergeant Andy Sinclair, and in this episode, we have a guest who's going to explain that concept a little deeper. A concept that we as a total force have practiced for years, but haven't quite perfected it yet. A concept that entices us to look past those generic responses. The wingman concept. Chaplain Dave Michoud wants to share a message with the rest of us that continues the push for resiliency and taking care of each other. Colonel Roy mentioned back in September that when it comes to resiliency, he's not looking to check a box. We're in it for the long haul. The message that Chaplain Michoud shares is powerful, it's meaningful, and it'll open your eyes a little more to making sure our airmen are doing all right. Here's Senior Master Sergeant Duplain and Chaplain Michoud. Good morning, everyone. This is uh, Senior Master Sergeant John Duplain. I'm with Chaplain Michoud. For those of you that uh, don't know him, he uh, works down at the chapel. Works with Chaplain Bach, Chaplain, help me out. Marquis. Marquis. Yeah. And, and myself, three chaplains. Yeah. I happened to run in the Chaplain Michoud at our uh, stand-up on Saturday. And I said, hey, I was thinking about that. He told us a story he shared with us um, a couple drills ago. I said, geez, I'd like, that was a really interesting story, and I think it, uh, other people could benefit from maybe hearing that. So I, uh, I asked you if you wouldn't mind uh, coming up and, uh, and talking to us about it on the podcast. So, and of course, being the good chaplain that he is, he agreed, and, uh, and, and yeah, so he, he made his way up, and he actually, actually is uh, doing a couple of days this week, so it, it, it all worked out well. So... Thanks, Chaplain, for coming. I think this is your debut on the on the podcast. Well, it is. Well, thank you. Um, it's good to be here. Glad I could come up and uh, share with you guys. And, yeah, this is my debut on the podcast, so yeah. hopefully it'll go well. Well, they, we always say that um, you have a face for radio, so. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone does, right? <laughs> right, yeah. No, absolutely. I'm just teasing. But, yeah, no, really, though, we do appreciate it, and I, th- I think we... Um, you know, when we talk about resiliency and things of those nature, that we're kind of continuing to, to talk about those things and to make sure that through every month or every few months that we're, we're still touching on that and making sure that people are, are thinking about those types of things. Because I know we're getting into inspection season between now and, and April, right? So people really get focused on that type of stuff. They so, do. But the, the care for people never stops, no matter, uh, you know, if we're in the holiday season or out of it or going to exercises or whatever, um, we still still need to be watching over and caring for people. So. Yeah, and, and, and based on that, you um, we're seeing a lot more um, chaplains out here, right? Because yeah. Of- yeah, at the direction of the wing commander, um, we're trying to get uh, more of a presence out here to, to help with folks. Um, 
you know, uh, people go through difficult times and uh, not everyone is willing to say so. So sometimes it takes the uh, personal and private, you know, encounter with folks to, to uh, really check on them and see where they're really at. Right. Yeah, and it's nice, too, that it's not... It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't always have to fit into that drill schedule. If I want to get a hold of you right. now that you're out and about and <clears throat> wandering right. around the base. Yeah, in the in the drill time, really, we find um, people are more hesitant because they feel a lot of pressure to accomplish so much. Especially the uh, traditional guardsman who comes in has two eight-hour days to accomplish, you know, a month's worth of stuff, and and they're not always willing to take the time out to talk with the chaplain. With an, to an you know to an extended period of time. Yeah. So it's good to be out here to be able to uh, catch up with those kind of folks. No, it makes sense. I mean, again, we're, we we definitely want to stay focused on mission, but we also don't want to lose that part of it. So that, that's a good point here. Part of this resiliency is, is just having you come on and kind of sharing that. So again, other people can kind of hear that story because um, I thought it was interesting. It was actually had a personal kind of take for you as well which is you know kind of you opening up putting yourself out there as well so. yeah well you do find yourself um you know especially if you're on the caregiver side uh that you you want to focus in on people but you find that uh, you fall into the trap that a lot of us do where we uh maybe superficially check on people and uh we might ask the questions but we're not listening to the answers i think uh i think it was the um holiday party that we were having and we had one for wing agency and I had an opportunity just to address the wing agency and kind of shared a, a, a personal story just to help the folks to um, realize that uh, when they check on folks or ask the question how you doing ask it and mean it because people uh, if they don't think you mean it they're going to give you the standard answer which is usually, you know, someone says, you meet in the hall, you go by, one person always says, how you doing? The other person says, fine. And that's just uh, what we do. Uh, even if the person asking really doesn't want to know or care, they still ask. And the other person that says fine may be or may not be, but we expect the standard exchange. And um, I think it was, uh, I was working as a civilian pastor in my own church and um, very much the same thing. You have, you know, folks that attend your church and there's the expectation that you care for them and, and watch out for them and you check on their, on their souls and where they're at in life and all that. And you have the standard exchange, especially at the end of a service. You know, you always say to folks, so how you doing, how you doing? You get the answer you want to hear, which is good, fine. And you go home and think that you've done your job because everyone in the church is fine. But when you think about that, how is it possible for 100, 150 people to, to all be fine? So, um, but you you think you've done your job, and uh, you got the answers you wanted. You asked the standard question, and really not expecting or wanting to hear anything different than fine. Um, but until there was a situation in my own life that I was going through, and I can't even remember what it was. Probably, um, I think. Yeah, we've had, uh, my wife had a, a miscarriage uh, early in our relationship. And um, I remember um, going, being at church, and, and um, this is when it struck me that I was doing the wrong thing, is that people would ask me, how you doing? And um, I would give them the standard answer that I'm doing fine, doing good. And knowing that, you know, down deep in my own heart and in my own soul and my own feelings the you know we were 
we're struggling through the loss of a, a first pregnancy um, with our, it was going to be our first child and my wife miscarried on that and we really weren't doing fine but yet I would tell everybody that we're doing fine it was it was that thing that uh, really changed the focus of my my pastoral ministry towards people is you know I, I don't like anymore to just give the standard greeting of how you're doing um, and expecting the standard answer. You, now when I talk to folks, I'll say, how you doing? And they'll say, fine. And I usually come back with the answer, really? <laughs> really? Is that really how you're doing? Because I really want to know. Because um, people are going to tell you what they think you want to hear. And uh, even though they may be struggling with a lot of personal things, personal issues, um, they, they want to, before they're going to share, they're going to really want to know that you care. And so sometimes you really got to ask how you're doing and mean and mean it, yeah. uh, and and ask them again. No, really, how you doing? And when you do that second approach, that's when people will stop and say, "Whoa, wait a minute, he really wants to know," <laughs> you know. And that's when they'll and that's when they'll open up and share. So that's kind of the story that I told at the uh, the holiday party. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I think back too that. Uh as we're kind of going through that, when you ask that second question, I may not give you everything then, but then you may have something where sure. you, you say, oh, I'm going to swing back into PA. I'm going to ch right. check on John maybe during the yep. week because I'm in and, and do that follow-up yep. and maybe at a better time. It's but, like taking you kind a of highlighter. It, yeah. you, know, you, you know, we uh, when we work through <laughs> words, we highlight, right? right. Well, uh, you do the same thing with people. You may not engage right then, right. but that second question where they hesitated with their answer or looked at you in a certain way where you... You know, by asking again how you're doing, and they couldn't come back with the standard fine. Right. Uh, you know, it's yeah. like running a highlight through the word. You're right. You get yeah. back to them later. You talk to them later. You yeah. Because it may not be opportune time right then. So. No, and I, I thought that was great advice because, uh, you know, I, I think to myself almost guilty about it. If a, if a chaplain can go through the motions of doing it, then I'm, I'm going to be okay when I do it too sometimes and I'm busy right. or I see someone in stand-up or right. um, I'm getting ready for drill weekend and everyone kind of comes in and I say, hey, how was your month or this, that, the other. Yeah. So, And all leaders want to take care of the people, I think, whether you're talking about chaplains or commanders or first sergeants or whatever. And so they want to engage and they engage with the how you doing and my advice to them would be, when people just give you the standard fine, don't always take that as being gospel truth because um, usually people are telling you what they think you want to hear until they know that you really care. And they're only going to know you really care unless you, when you ask the second time. No, really, how are you doing? Because I really want to know. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and being someone that works with with people, we can certainly tell a lot more. Um, yeah, some people, people do wear. Doing, you know, they wear. I guess use the cliche. They use their. They wear their emotions on their shirt sleeve, and right. and you work with people long enough, you know when they're having a good day, and you know when they're having a bad day because you've just been acquainted with how they respond to things. But not everyone's that way. No. Some people can hide how they really feel uh, down deep and go through the motions, and no one. No one knows unless you really want to know. Yeah, and I think you learn a lot going through this process and the, the soul resiliency stuff. And that um, 
sometimes people coming to work is their escape. So they are happy at yeah. work. And that is the place that they can come in and do meaningful work and, and feel accomplished and this, that, and the other. And then when they leave, is that's when they, that's right. that's when they face it. So you, we don't always see that part of it. I always thought it was just all one big lump, you know, and, and just not being well, that's why that you, insight. You know? That's why you do need to pry if you're a caregiver or leader of people and want to know how you got to pry a little bit because you're right when when uh, you ask someone how they're doing they may think okay in the box that I'm in right now at work right. I'm doing good but if you want to know how they're doing how are things at home how are the kids how are you know other things of life and once they step outside their work box where they might be doing good uh, you find out maybe things aren't quite as good as they are letting you know letting you think yeah no absolutely no, I, I appreciate it what would be your suggestion in regards to um you and i work together and um you know there's something going like an event going on in my life i have a, a sick parent i'm going through a divorce i have kids in trouble or something along that lines what is your suggestion for for keeping that dialogue open or that interaction because that those conversations i think we a lot of times we shy away from the tougher conversations, you know. And I think people shy away from it because they don't think they'll have the answer. Well, to be honest, <laughs> even as a pastor, I'll tell you, uh, I don't have all the answers. But sometimes people just want to be able to talk. Uh, so let them talk. And usually, as you would, you don't have to give the answers. Sometimes you just have to converse with them. They'll say something, you say something, they'll say something again, and through the conversation, answers come. So you don't have to be the, the wise old sage who knows all the answers. Just help someone work through the issues, and together you guys, can two people can usually come up with the answer just because they're willing to talk about the subject itself. Right. I think that's the best thing people can do. Don't be afraid to, to engage with people. Let them talk and tell you what's going on. You don't have to know all the answers. Right, yeah, because that can be overwhelming. I've got to be honest, I think, um, I think I learned that a few years later in my relationship with my wife is that she would have something and she just wanted to vent. Yeah. She just wanted to get it off her chest. And I was always being the husband, I always wanted to fix it. Well, have you tried that? And then she finally said, I don't need you to give me <laughs> That's, all these advice or answers. I just want to, just want to, to talk. Get, right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I learned a lot from that. And, and it took a few years. Yeah. I'm, I'm of course, slow at you that. don't want to be uh, stereotypical, <laughs> but. Uh, Usually in, in relationships, that's the way it is. Guys, guys do like to fix things, and they don't understand the issue when they can't. Right, and, then, you know, that just makes me think back. Just hearing that from her is, like you said, if, if you come in my office or I'm talking with a coworker or someone across the hall, that maybe they just want to vent when we're down in the sauna or we're going to go go for a run or whatever yep. maybe that's that's their vent time and I don't have to fix it. So that, that yeah. I think, alleviates my... You know, my stress is that I have to have these answers or I have to tell them, you know, have this big overarching theme around it. But I can just listen and say, hey, you know. And that's why I think uh, for the 101st, um, the addition of uh, Chaplain Marquis, uh, who is a, a female chaplain oh, yeah. uh, with us, um, she, she can just take relationships with people to a whole different level that uh, Chaplain Bach and myself can't. Uh, just because she she just has a sense of zeroing in to, uh, on people where they're at and what they need, and uh, we've really appreciated her addition uh, in the chapel for the counseling 
Oh yeah, oh, I'm sure it's really good. And you know, it's sometimes it's just like a person. Just you just click with someone. You That's know right. what I mean? That's like right. I have a really good rapport with Bach, and, and not that I don't love and appreciate you, but sure. I just feel like I know him pretty good. And you That's know right. what I mean? Like I, I, if I had to seek someone out, I might gravitate towards him. It's not a right or wrong thing. So That's right. Yeah. I think the more you guys have that, and the more we see you out, I think it yeah. opens that up. Well, he does a be- much better job than I do. We call him, I'm the bad chaplain, and he's a good chaplain. So. <laughs> yeah, he is always uh, he is always pretty giddy. But, uh, you know, we've heard him talk in the past, too, that he's that he's had struggles, right? And that he he's, he's talked yeah. about those, and that you don't think maybe the you know, chaplain even even help, or maybe your right. boss is the person that needs it. So yeah. sometimes managing up or managing laterally can be challenging yeah. that well, way. Just because you wear a title or a rank or whatever on your sleeve, um, you're not exempt. As long as you're a human being, uh, the, well, I think the good book says it best, you know, in this life you will have trouble. And uh, none of us uh, is exempt yeah. uh, from trouble. If you're a human, you're going to have trouble. So it doesn't matter if you're a, uh, a commander or a chaplain or, or E1 private. I mean, we're all going to have difficulties. So. Some people handle them uh, and handle them alone, and that's fine. Uh, other people need uh, assistance from somebody else, and that's fine too. It's whatever keeps us resilient to, uh, you know, to accomplish the mission at hand. Yeah, no, that's good. And like I said, I think this is a a good time. I know we're catching up after the holidays, and people can be stressed out from playing catch up from the holidays or going into inspection cycle where things get busy and we get hyper focused on things so again just touching base on this getting advice from you on on better ways to to talk or just listen just listen sometimes i guess the best piece of advice we could tell people is uh you know don't be afraid to ask Um, sometimes i think we feel like we're invading someone's life or privacy or whatever but if we think or or sense that somebody is struggling i mean my goodness don't be afraid to ask Uh, that's what a wingman does that's what a friend does um, the, the least they can tell you is that they're fine. Okay, but don't be afraid to ask and mean it when you do. Right. No, and I think that, that'll make you feel better too is, mm-hmm. is knowing that you, you put your best foot forward to make sure. At least they know. Right. Maybe it's not at that point yet, but maybe it isn't a month from now. And then I feel like I've, I've got to get something out. So. Right. Well, that's good. Is there anything you'd like to add or we missed or... No, I think uh, I think we both covered it. So. Yeah, no, I appreciate I, the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's been great, and uh, I think it's uh, valuable stuff, and it's always good to hear 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 from you guys. So hopefully we can uh, we can talk about something here again in a couple months, and okay. good go from there. All right, Sounds good. You. Thank you. Appreciate it. So before we get into our second interview, let's talk about some of the things that are going on around the wing. First off, a few promotions. Senior Master Sergeant Grady Thurlow will be promoted to Chief this weekend. Now despite the fact that he has an outstanding reputation as a phenomenal leader, you ask anyone who's worked with him and they'll tell you about his character. And me personally, having been on multiple trips and training missions with him, I'm pretty excited he's being promoted to Chief Master Sergeant. I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that some leaders are born while others learn that skill over time, but for him, it's both and it shows. From my perspective, his number one priority are the people he works with. Just a quick story about him for those of you who don't know him. I went TDY with this team a few years back, and I was blown away at how hard they worked 12 hours a day, six days a week. When that seventh day came around, 
they definitely earned their day off. Instead of running off and doing his own thing with the other senior NCOs or officers, Senior Thurlow made sure everyone had rides to where they wanted to go unwind, made sure everyone got a chance to see what they wanted to see, and that no one was left out, down to the lowest ranking airman. I know that sounds silly and sort of like, duh, that's what he's supposed to do, but I guess you have to be there to know what I mean. It just sort of resonated with me. He's a really good guy and an amazing maniac. So congrats, Chief Master Sergeant Select Thurlow. We had another promotion a couple days ago up in Ops from Master Sergeant Andy Robeshaw. He's now a Senior Master Sergeant. And though I don't know him like I know Chief Thurlow, I've heard great things about him, particularly his work ethic. And if you're listening to this senior, I'm sorry I don't have more to say other than congratulations and thank you for your service. And maybe if you invite me to go TDY with you, I'll have a cool story about you when you make Chief someday. But that's all I've got. Congrats again to both of you. Let's jump into our next interview with our wing retention specialist. Everyone, Master Sergeant Norm Stanton. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's uh, Senior Master Sergeant John Duplain. I'm down at the Force Support Squadron. Is that what we call this place? Force Support Squadron. Okay, great. And I'm with Norm Stanton. And um, we're going to hear a little bit about him and uh, what he does down here. So, uh, good morning, Norm. How good you morning. Doing? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. So, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, Massard Norm Stanton, like he said, I'm the retention office manager and career assistance advisor for the uh, state of Maine. So, um, I'm here to help provide assistance with any GI Bill, post 9 11 GI Bill transfer uh, questions, bonuses, uh, and generally assisting in anyone's career as they move forward. Sure. So you're you're um, the type we'd come see you after we've enlisted. Correct. So uh, you're the kind of that liaison that way. Correct. I, I tend to do a, a GI Bill briefing or bonus briefing if someone's bonus eligible on enlistment day. Uh, I always follow up with members after they return from their training or IEDT uh, initial active duty training, so they uh, have a better idea of when they can use their benefits. And, and right. when they're going to receive their bonus payments, if that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been in over 20. Any bonuses for me? Any no bonuses. <laughs> <laughs> 16 years is the limit. So uh, once you hit the 16-year time in service based on your pay date, sure. uh, they no longer allow bonuses for, for anyone in that um, status. Yeah, that's good. Well, it never hurts to ask, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that that's good. So day-to-day... Can you give us a breakdown of, of those types of things that you might deal with or uh, information that uh, you help people out with and, and maybe where they can get more information? Yep, we get a, we get a lot of questions in my office uh, specifically about GI Bill, GI Bill Kicker, uh, using those benefits in, in conjunction with the state TA waiver. Um, so we have folks that aren't sure which GI Bill they're using when they can use it and that sort of thing. So we sit, we'll sit down and talk to them and discuss the, the benefits of using right. both state TA and GI Bill. Right. Uh, if they're authorized to kicker, they can get that also. They can use both at the same time. There are some times where it's beneficial to hold off on using your GI Bill depending on your ultimate education goals. Right. 
Uh, sometimes it's better just to use the state TA until you get your bachelor's and if you plan on pursuing a degree plan past that or maybe something else or certifications, it's good to hold on to your GI Bill that'll cover some of those sure. since the state TA only covers up to a bachelor's degree. Right, and it seems like from, from uh, talking with you earlier, everyone's case is different. Right. Everyone's in a different how much time, where they're at, where they're going to school, what their education goals are. So right. it seems like uh, you've got a lot of different information to give out to people. We do, and, and also prior service members that come in, some of them are already eligible for the post 9-11 or the Chapter 33 GI Bill, uh, which is a completely different GI Bill program than our traditional six-year enlistment members have here in the Guard. Right. And that that opens up a whole different world as far as opportunities and options for them uh, while they're attending school. Right. Huh. And uh, I know personally I had to come down because I transferred um, some of my benefits over and that, that was something I thought I could navigate on my own <laughs> and end up having to call you and you said, hey, get started here. And then when you get to this point, come down, I'll walk you through the rest of it. So I know that was really helpful and my, my wife used it and now my daughter's going to be heading off to school next year so she'll be using it so again sometimes you don't think about these things until right you know, it's until it's a great you. program and I try to tell everybody uh, don't you don't have to wait till your kids are out ready to go to school uh, what you really want to do is once you become eligible uh, stop down and see me and I'll walk you through the process I'll explain how the process works uh, if you meet the eligibility requirements for the transfer, we'll get, get the process started and get it approved. Once you're approved, you're in the system and ready to go. Uh, they, you can add to, once you have 90 days of active duty time, uh, basic training and technical school do not count on that. So either MPA tours, Title 10, AGR, that type of thing, any deployments would count towards that time, then you can apply for the benefit for yourself, which is the first step in the process is to become eligible for yourself to use right. it first. Gotcha. Huh. Yeah, and it just seems like it's quite a, it's quite a, uh, just a great bo you know, bonus, or I don't know what you call it, benefit. Yeah. It just seems like it can really add up to a lot of money or s save people a lot of money on the back end, more than I think even you realize. Right, and it's, starting out. it's funny you said that because we have a member currently in FSS who used all 36 months of his post-9-11 GI Bill and uh, went to a school here in Maine, and by the time he was done, the benefit paid out over $125,000. Wow. So that's cool. I was wondering if you had uh, numbers like that, but yeah, that's crazy. So that that's something he's not going to be making a payment on over right. the next exactly. 10, and, 12, 15 years. And if you have minor dependents and, and you know they're going to attend school, uh, you can divide it however many months per, per dependent, uh, and then they can take advantage of even one year if you think about it. It's still in that, you know, it's you divide that up, you know, just talking twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars, right? Uh, which will help, which will assist for the final outcome of their uh, their bill at the end of the school. Oh, absolutely! And not only are you making your drill check and your two weeks a year, then you're gaining all this extra, you know, benefits that way. So, yeah, that really adds up. So that that's uh, that's great. I'm glad we can get get that information out and. Uh, I know this is, we talked about doing this monthly, right. and you've uh, 
uh, you've been you've been wanting to get get the info out and try to help as many people as you can. So I think that's pretty cool. What uh, what did you say that uh, we'll talk about next month? You had an idea. Uh, next month we'll we'll go over the the changes they've made. They implemented a change that anyone with over 16 years time in service uh, could no longer transfer the benefit. Yeah. Uh, they were using this this GI Bill transfer as a, a retention tool to get folks to re-enlist. It does come with a four-year service commitment once you do apply for that transfer. Yeah. Uh, and DOD decided anyone with 16 years probably gonna stay anyway. Right. So they they tried to pass that law, but um, it, it seems like it's been rescinded. Oh. And, uh, and we can talk more about that okay. on next Good. month's uh, So to, Yeah, pod. listen up for that next month, folks, and uh, go from there. Um, I know, um, there has always been a unit career advisor. In fact, I used to do it back in the day with Colonel Meadow when I was uh, in the hangar. And um, it seems like we're kind of kicking that back up again. Can you go over the unit career advisor program? And that's, I know, it's something you help manage. Um, one of the things that I, I recommend for all of our members is to get to know your unit career advisor. Uh, your UCA is there to assist and, and not just doing the interviews that they, they're required to do, but they're really there to assist our members uh, with benefit questions, career questions, uh, and then also to complete the CMP interviews, which are twice in a six-year enlistment. And what are the CMP interviews? The, the CMP interviews are part of the career motivation program. So they have an initial interview and a re-enlistment interview. So the initial interview is kind of a, hey, you've completed your training. You sit down with your UCA, your unit career advisor, uh, and kind of go over your, your plans and goals for your, for your, six year, your first six-year enlistment. Uh, then at about 12 months prior to ETS, the UCA should be sitting down with our members and completing a re-enlistment interview. And that interview uh, is a good way to gauge how your first six years went in the, in the Air National Guard, in the, in the, you know, the main Air National Guard. And, and get an idea of what your future plans are. If you're planning on re-enlistment, if you're thinking uh, separating, uh, if you're interested in a different career field, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, they can answer, they can get those questions answered. They can really uh, get an idea of what our members are planning to do at the end of their ETS. Okay, sounds so. good. And what, what, is the, um, what is the overall goals of this program in your, in your opinion? It's, it's to sit down, the, the program, it gives the UCA an opportunity to sit down with, with the members of their unit and, and discuss any concerns that the, the member may have, uh, answer any questions. It kind of gives them both an opportunity to get to know each other. Yeah. Uh, that's why I said at the beginning, it's really important to get to know who your UCA is. Uh, they should be able to answer a lot of basic benefit questions, your GI Bill, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, any questions they can't answer, that's why I'm here. Uh, I'm kind of the subject matter expert when it comes to GI Bill and the GI Bill transfer. So if they can't answer those, then they'll direct you to my office where I can sit down and we can go over the GI Bill stuff. Yeah, no, that's good. And is there also, there, is there a commander role in that? There, there is. This is the, so the UCA program in general is is a commander's program. Each commander's they run that program. They decide who the UCA is going to be, and then they take part in those CMP interviews. It's uh, again, it's an opportunity for uh, commanders to sit down with their folks, uh, get to get to know who they are, get to know their plans. Um, and really, it gives them an opportunity to address 
any issues or concerns that may be affecting uh, the folks in their unit and any any problems or, or stuff that they see that's coming up sure. and answer questions that members may have of their commander. Right. Yeah, because, you know, in a year out, you know, you may have an opportunity to address things or maybe there's been mis, you know, miscommunications or, or different expectations that you may have uh, for the job. And I know... Um, Colonel Brassa, who who is my commander, he's talked a lot about people, you know, being vocal about if if they want to try to do something different, if it if it works for the unit, and trying to make that happen, and and uh, having those conversations, I think, with the commander sometimes that you're you're not seven people removed from the commander, right? You get to sit with the UCA, kind of a neutral third party. I'm not in your chain of command, right? Per se, and then you know you get to sit down with the commander, and absolutely. Maybe talk about your goals and uh, kind of Ab- work through that. Absolutely. It's yeah. a great program. Yeah, the last thing we want our members to think, if they're if the position they're in, the job they're in, it's not a fit for them, um, that that's their only opportunity. Right. So separating is the only choice they have. Um, we have a lot of jobs on this base, as most people know, and there's nothing wrong with cross-training into a new career. It gives you a, a new skill set. Yeah. It gives you an opportunity to try something different. And... And maybe find a better fit for you here on base. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I know we were just on the uh, morning show, morning show with uh, George Hale and Rick Tyler, and uh, one of the things we found out was that uh, um, Andy Sinclair and uh, Dylan Clare had both had prior careers, and and that they're better off in their new jobs right. because of having that experience and doing different jobs right. before that. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting takeaway. So it's not a negative to, to leave security or maintenance. Right. It's um, you, you take that knowledge with you, those connections, kind of be able to network, know who to call in that area. Yes, and it, in my opinion, it's always good. I know a lot of folks, security is a good example. They'll go to security because they want to be in law enforcement in the civilian world. Uh, they end up getting into the law enforcement job, and it really is a good chance for them to do something different right. on drill weekend. Yeah. You know, they come here, they're not doing the same thing they're doing on the civilian side. They're doing something a little different. Again, learning a new trade, yeah. a new skill set, and, and it really helps. It helps break up that, you know, always doing the same thing right. on drill weekend. <laughs> so it's a 12-day stretch of the same thing, you know. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> when you work out here full time, right. <laughs> it is the same. And that would be, that, be great to switch jobs that way, too. But, uh, but you know, we all take on dis- additional responsibilities. Like, I'm, I'm the UCA uh, for wing agencies. And right. It's something I wanted to do because I think it's a valuable program. And, it is. It's, it's a great program. And any of our members that are interested in that, uh, it, it opens some doors for some other opportunities for them when they become NCOs. Um, it looks really good uh, when they're, you know, if they're competing for another job later on, if they're really interested in something, to have that UCA experience, you know, they, they not only get to meet and interact with all the members of their unit, they kind of get an idea of, of something different, like you said, not doing their Monday through Friday job. The UCA program's a completely different world that they get to, to sit and do something different on drill weekend with that also. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, exposure to your leadership too, because you're, you're kind of working hand in hand with them to say, hey, uh, so-and-so seems like they, they may want to be looking to do something different or they're really content and they you know, kind of talk about those things. Absolutely. So, working with your commander is never, never a bad thing. Right, yeah. You know? 
Um, I think we get a lot of it covered. Um, it seems like, uh, yeah, we, we covered the bases with it, and that's kind of what we wanted to get done this one. Like I said, going forward, I think it'll be a, a great addition to the podcast, ha- having you on, talking about the benefits, changes, good or bad, that, that need to be put out. That way people at least, it's another avenue for them to be aware of those changes and and uh, you know it's another another springboard for you to kind of get that info out so right yeah absolutely look forward to, look forward to sharing that is there anything you wanted to add or what is that's there? really it just thanks for the opportunity to to kind of spread this out there get this word out and uh hopefully we can continue like you said and if anything new with ops guidance that comes out with uh, gi bill stuff it'll be a good opportunity a good platform for me to get that word out there to the to the masses yeah absolutely and, and uh that in the podcast so yeah and if anyone has suggestions um or, or if uh Sergeant Stan gets a lot of questions then he, he can kind of answer those because if one or two people are having them at the same time then maybe we can answer it for a lot of people too so kind of word of mouth that way but uh appreciate you coming on with me and uh we'll catch up next month for sure so all right sounds all good over again. thanks all right thank day. you This episode's Maniac Fact is brought to us by the 101st Air Refueling Wing Aircraft Electrical and Environmental Systems. I can see why it's called E&E. We all know that we have highly trained electricians in our civil engineering squadron. But did you know that we have a total separate team of specialists who work on the electrical systems on our birds? All of our aircraft rely on electricity and technology in order to work both safely and effectively. Responsible for maintaining and repairing the wiring and electrical components on an aircraft, E&D specialists make sure our planes are working at optimal condition. From cabin pressurization to engine control, these experts play a critical role in keeping our aircraft and our airmen safe and able to complete each mission. If you or someone you know is interested in E&E, you know what to do. What's the difference between a base, a fort, and a camp? No, this isn't a start to some weak joke, although I guess it could be. But really though, what's the difference? I've researched a little, but I haven't found anything solid. Nothing that relates to our modern age, anyway. I used to think it was the size of the installation, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Maybe the mission? Of course, we also have stations and fields as well. If you happen to know the answer, let me know. Of course, in Bangor, it's called a base. The Bangor Air National Guard Base, to be exact. And it's been that way for a long time. Right? Well, we've talked in past episodes about how the Air National Guard, specifically the main Air National Guard, has been around since February of 1947. And for those of you who paid attention in history class or Airman Leadership School, that's a whopping seven months before Big Air Force's birthday. Pretty cool. But just because we've been around for 73 years doesn't mean there's always been a base here in Bangor. Well, not technically. You see, prior to 1983, we were known merely as a corner of our city's vaster complex the Bangor International Airport. I'm sure maniacs in the public all referred to our organization as a base, but technically speaking, we weren't. So for 36 years, we had no home? Not exactly. We just weren't a base yet. But January 20th, 1983, that all changed. Special Order Number GA-6 changed our official location from being at the Bangor International Airport to the Bangor Air National Guard Base. The order was issued by Bowling Air Force Base in Washington, D.C. 
and actually the order retroactively changed the name dating back to October 16th of 82. A cool piece of history you may or may not have known. Another cool tidbit is like I mentioned, the main air guard has been around since February of 47. That's before the Air Force and certainly before Dow Air Force Base. So what was it before? Because actually planes had been landing here in Bangor since 1927, 20 years before the main air guard was around. Within those 20 years, the name had changed a few times, but the name that started it all, the grandfather of all names, was Godfrey. Godfrey Field was here 93 years ago and is a whole nother topic in itself. Maybe for a future episode. Just like the Patriots in this year's playoffs, I'm out. Too soon? Another quick congratulations to Chief Master Sergeant Thurlow and Senior Master Sergeant Robichaud on your promotions. Very cool stuff. Also, a shout out to Chief Sousa, who is retiring after a long and distinguished career. He's done a lot for our organization, state and country, so if you see him around, be sure to congratulate him. Another thing that I wanted to mention is that we have an ESGR boss lift coming up. For those of you who don't know what that is, in a nutshell, a boss lift gives you, as a guard member, the opportunity to nominate your civilian employer to come out for a day and fly on a KC-135. A unique opportunity, and it's definitely something you should check out. Another quick note, we're all recruiters. Be sure to spread the good word. If you haven't done so already, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, iTunes, iHeartRadio. The list is growing. Search for 101STARW. We also have an app. You can head over to our Facebook page for an instructional video on how to set up that app, but it's pretty straightforward. But that's all she wrote. Have a great drill. Stay safe. Oh, and don't forget about the Safe Maniac program if you need a ride home. It's better to play it safe than to be locked in one. I'm Master Sergeant Andy Sinclair. Thanks for listening.